I um, just have a couple of things I wanted to, uh, to let you know about. The first is um, our Christmas Eve services. Uh, you've got like a little card probably, maybe you're sitting on it, it's right next to you. Um, this is like, this is an invite. And um, we have two Christmas Eve services, at, one at 3.30 and, and one at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and no services on Christmas Day, which is, it's kind of weird the way that everything falls this, uh, this year. But we will have one combined service on New Year's Day uh, that next week, and it'll be at the, ten, at the 10, 15 hour. So one combined service, all the, fa- all the church family together on, um, on January 1st, so as part of, uh, of, our, of our New Year's celebration. Um, I want to like really encourage you guys to take this and, um, and invite someone. Uh, invite someone to come with you on Christmas Eve. Um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to just, like, people that don't go to church go to church on, on Christmas Eve. And it's an opportunity for you to be able to just share that with a neighbor, a coworker. So, so be praying about who that might be. Take the chance. The worst thing they could say is no. Um, and, and when you think of it that way, it's like, what, I, I really have nothing to lose. So, so just think about, take this with you. Think about who you might choose to just say, would you come with me to, to the Christmas Eve service um, this year? Um, so be praying about that. The second thing is, and I want you to, I don't know if you noticed on your way in here, obviously we've got some new uh, Christmas decorations with the lights, but anyone notice the new floor? Dang, that floor is absolutely beautiful. Um, you may have noticed it. If you didn't, uh, you just need to look down because uh, it looks so different from what it was before. Um, we, there's a family from our church, Brent. Um, they literally donated that with his company. And I just want, can we just, can we just give them some, some honor? That's, and so because, because they wouldn't accept any, any financial offering for that, um, uh, the way, one way, if you love it and you love what they're doing, um, one way you could help out is just go to Reliance Concrete Polishing on Facebook. Reliance Concrete Polishing on Facebook and just give them a like or a review or something like that just to bless them. Amen? Amen. So if you do it, Reliance Concrete Polishing. Also, this pallet wall um, is coming down. Um, and some of you are like, no. And some of you are like, hallelujah. Right? This was trendy about a decade ago when I put it up as a youth pastor. And uh, it's time for something new. And so uh, the, the, the pallets, pallet wall will be taken down. The plan is this week. And then we'll have a new backdrop that will be back here as well. And so it'll be changed. It won't just be a black wall. Don't worry. We'll have something up there. But uh, you can look forward to that next week. Amen? Just letting you know. Just letting you know. Um, all right. Uh, we're in a sermon series going through the book of 1 Corinthians together. And um, Paul has already been addressing some pretty hot topics. He's been talking about division in the church. He's been talking about what it means to be a spiritual leader, how to judge people, uh, which you're like, huh, that's interesting. Um, he's answered questions about uh, sexual morality and singleness and marriage and food that's been sacrificed to idols, which we talked about last week. And, and, and the interesting thing is that it, as this is the, the Word of God, this letter was not specifically written to the American church. It was written to a group of Jesus followers in an ancient city in Greece called Corinth. Um, the interesting thing is that was like, I think if Paul did see the American church, let's just say, I think we'd be getting a letter. Um, I think we'd be getting, a, and I don't think it would look that much different 
than this letter, to be honest with you. Um, because what we realize, and what I hope you've realized, we're like now nine chapters in, is that people are people. Like human nature is human nature, sin is sin, and, and what we find is that the same things that the Corinthian Christians were dealing with is some of the same things that you and I and all our culture 2,000 years later are dealing with. Um, things haven't changed that much. And so we're in now in, in chapter 9, and Paul is going to be spelling out today what it looks like to live life on mission. Live life on mission. And so uh, if you would, if you'd stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, we're going we're gonna to kind of focus this week on the, the latter portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The beginning portion is all about how um, Paul is deserving of pay as a minister of the gospel, and yet he, he has refused to do that for many different reasons. And so um, we're going to pick up in verse 19 and read through verse 27. It says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Whew. Lord, I thank you for a man of focus like the Apostle Paul. I thank you for the, a great reminder that every single one of us are called to live our lives intentionally, strategically, and on mission, that we have been placed here uh, for such a time as this, that we are called to be light in darkness and may we take on uh, the responsibility and the discipline that it takes to truly live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So one thing that Paul is known for and what I love about this guy is that he is focused. He knows what he's been called to do. He knows why he's been called to do it. He even, he even knows like what's at stake if he fails to do it. Like what's at stake if he fails to, to stay focused. Paul was a pioneer. He was planting churches, and pioneers were always at the front of the plow. And being at the front of the plow is not always the fun part because you hit all the rocks, all the hard places, and you have to break up all that fallow ground. And so there's no sense of entitlement. Paul's literally at this place where he's just like, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. And so I have to make myself, discipline myself to do what nobody else wants to do. And I was thinking about this 
this is a, it's a pretty heavy, like, portion of Scripture. This 19, verse 19 through 27. Like, he's he kind of just, he just hits it hard. Um, and it's no secret that in our American culture, I would say Christian American culture, there is this, this angst. And I use that word because I think there's a frustration. And I sense it. I don't know if you sensed it. That, that like things just aren't the way they used to be. Like the world's changing. Or maybe it's already changed and we're just trying to figure out what the heck is going on, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if you felt that before. You, if you watch the news or just look around, like things aren't the way they used to be 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Like things are different and things have changed. And understandably so, many Many people want to get back to, to where we were. Like, can we get back to when simpler times? Like, I even think about, like, I'm, I'm 43, right? I, I think about when I was a kid, before cell phones, before, like, there was televisions and, 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 and social media and all of these things that were, like, at our, at our disposal. Like, when you used to have to, like, watch a TV show when it came on, and that was it. Like, it was like, you missed it, you missed it. It's, it's done. Maybe in a couple of years they'll have a rerun, but you, you missed it, bud. I'm sorry. Like, back to those, back to simpler times and simpler days, or maybe even for some of us, I want to go back to where our nation was founded, like the principles of what our nation was founded on. And so, and so as Christians, like today, like we watch and we pray and we vote and we hope that it will bring us back to what we were to change us back to where we used to be, to where we once were, and wondering if it's even possible. Like, is that even possible? Is that even, is that a pipe dream? Like, is that even a possibility in our, in our day? A few years ago, there was a study by the Barner Research Group. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. They, they're like pollsters. They, they kind of like, especially for Christianity. And um, they did a study to find the least Christian cities in America. And um, it's interesting. They found that eight out of ten of the least Christian cities in the United States were in the Northeast. Eight out of ten were in the Northeast. The other ones were like, you know, Washington. You know them. Um, you know, we're always in competition here on the East and West Coast to be the, the, the least Christian cities in, uh, in America. You know what city in this, this study a few years ago was found um, the, the least Christian city in America? Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine. The other Portland, right? <laughs> we're always in competition with the other Portland between, well... We don't want to win that, but we've, we, we did. 2017, they, they, they ranked the, the least Christian city in America was Portland, Maine. Now, what if, what if some of our angst um, is that the church is failing to understand that we are missionaries? We're missionaries. And you're like, whoa, hold, hold, hold up. I know we support missions, but missionaries are people that have garage sales and sell everything they have to move to Zimbabwe to spread the gospel. And like, 
know, I, I support a kid and, the, you know, Compassion International. And, I, you know, I do that. But, like, I, what do you mean, like, we, we are missionaries? What if missionaries were people who spread the gospel to people where Jesus Christ is largely unknown? Like in your own backyard. What if Christians started thinking and acting a whole lot more like the missionaries that we actually are in the area that we are in? What if your neighbor and your coworker and your political leader and your friend and your boss doesn't need to change their political views, they don't need to get back on track, they don't need to go back to church that they never actually attended in the first place, they actually need to encounter Jesus Christ for the first time ever changes everything like it like when you all of a sudden realize that like we're not actually trying to get back to where we once were we're missionaries in a foreign culture trying to win them to Jesus it changes the way you think it changes the way you act and it means that that we're to live our lives on mission on mission church um because whether you've reconciled this or not in your own life in your own mind in your own heart you are a missionary like, you've been commissioned. You're like, but I didn't sign up, and I never had that. That I never sold all my stuff in a garage sale, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't have a passport. I'm just telling you, you, you don't need one because the people next door to you are just as lost as the people across the, across the ocean from you. Like, you are a missionary, and it changes everything. And I think that in Paul's mind, a missionary is what every single one of us is called to be. A missionary in its most basic form is a person who lives their life on mission. That we are called to live our lives on mission, which means that God has placed you in the neighborhood that you're in. He has placed you in the job that you have. He has placed you to owning the business that you own with the influence that you have to live your life on mission. This is, this is what he's, he hits us with. And a few different ways. So I want to just give you three points here. I think they're in your notes. Um, how do you live your life on mission um, according to Apostle Paul? Verse 20 and 21. Let me read it to you again. He spells it out. He says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law. Although I'm not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. And he's like, I have become all things to all men so that I may win some. Like living life on mission means the first one is this, building bridges, not walls. Living life on mission means building bridges, not walls. Walls provide security. Bridges provide accessibility. Walls make barriers. Bridges make access points to make way where there was no way. A missionary, if you think about it, learns about the culture that they're in. They, they go, they move to Zimbabwe, and they learn about the language. They learn about the way of thinking. They learn about the cultural religion in the area that God has placed them, not so that they can build walls of separation, but so they can build bridges of connection. It's the whole point. That's, that's, that's why a missionary is placed and they go into the place they're hoping to win the people that they're living around. And this is the heart of the Father, heart of God. That God made a way where there seemed to be no way. It's what we celebrate in Christmas, y'all. Like, I mean, that God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. Like God made a way where there was no way. Jesus came. He was sent here to make a way so that God could get closer to the people that he so loved. That's the whole point of Christmas. And if we're, if we're living life following that same mission, then we are to be building bridges, not walls. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true not just around the world, but it's true in our own backyard. Now, you're like, some of you are, some of you are like, hallelujah, and some of you are like, you are treading on really thin ice. Because what, what are you getting at? Like, are we supposed to just, like, compromise the truth of the gospel, like, in order to win people in our world right now? No, you are not called to compromise. It simply means that you're called to live life on mission. You can be biblically grounded and also radically loving at the same time. This is the thing that I think that the church needs to wade into. If we're truly to be missionaries in a foreign culture that we're currently in, you've got to figure out how can I be biblically grounded and not feel like I have to compromise the truth of the gospel and yet also be radically loving at the same time. Because that is exactly who Jesus was to you. That he never compromised the truth but he also never compromised his purpose. Like, he, he was sent to build a bridge for God to get close to the whosoevers. The whosoevers. And I honestly believe that thinking and acting as missionaries in our culture is how we're going to win our culture to Jesus. But we've got to get that around us. The, 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 real, the reality that, like, we, we are called as Missionaries, biblically grounded, culturally relevant, and radically loving. And holding all that intention is not easy. It is not easy. May we always remember that it is God's loving kindness that leads people to repentance. And so in our hurry to get back to where we once were, what if we loved people so hard that the truth of the gospel compelled them to God rather than repelled them from God? And, I, and I'm going I'm to just speak to something because I think I would be remiss to not address it. Um, but this is, this, is, this is the difficulty of like reading through a scripture that applies oh so pertinently to our current culture. Um, I want to be very frank. There's, um, this is the hard stuff that Paul talks about that, um, that is just too close to where we're, where we're currently at. In our culture today, People seem to want to conflate or combine um, approval and acceptance. Um, and what I mean by that is like, if you don't approve of something that I do, then you aren't accepting me. Like you, you need to approve every decision that I make and everything that I, that I, that I'm, you know, I, I am or I want to be. And, and if, you, if you don't approve of that, then you aren't accepting me. And, and I will just say this. That is not true. That is a fallacy. Because I can say wholeheartedly, I love you and not approve of everything that you do. And that's okay. In fact, I would hope, I would hope for every single one of you in, in here that you would extend the same grace to me. 
that your love for me would not be conditional on approving every decision that I make. Because if it were, none of you love me, right? Because I guarantee there are things that I've said this week, even right now, you probably just disagreed with a few things. If everything, if your love for me was conditional on approving everything that I do and everything that I say, that is a very shallow, lowest form of love out there. And I hope that you would give me the exact same grace extended to me as I would extend to you. Since when is love and approval the same thing? They're not. If you're a parent in here, let me, let me just base it down to like just grassroots level. If you're a parent in here, I will say, for me as a parent, I undoubtedly, I unequivocally love my children. But does that mean that I approve of everything that they do? No. It does not mean that. In fact, as a parent, the least loving thing to do is to approve of everything that your kid does. Because we know a whole generation of, oh, my kid does no wrong, and it's the teacher's fault, and everything else is wrong. Yeah. No, no, my kid's perfect, and they do everything. That's, that's actually a really bad parenting model, right? Just to be like, no, my kid is everything they do I approve of. No, but you love them in spite of it. I want to set you free this morning that, like, as our culture is trying to conflate those two things, what if we realized that our role was not to approve of everyone's choices, but to love them in spite of their choices? And to figure out that messy middle that Jesus waded into for you. What if, what if we realized that our role was to build bridges, not walls? So that when people asked you the reason for the hope that you have, you had an answer to give them. Amen? The second point is this. In order to live your life on mission, keep the goal in front of you. Keep the goal in front of you. He says this in verse 22. He says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul is very clear. He's like, I do this so that I can win them. When I'm with these people, I try to win them. I'm trying to win all possible people by all possible means. And he's like, what's the goal? He says it. The goal right here is this. For the sake of the gospel, by all possible means, I might save some. So know the goal and keep it in front of you. This is why Paul did the things that he did, because he was desperately trying to win his culture, his friends, his family, people that he knows, people that he doesn't know, people that he comes into contact with, people that he, that he brushes up against at the, at the grocery store. He was of one heart and one purpose to, to win people to Jesus Christ. So keep the goal in front of you, because going anywhere is the most certain way to arrive nowhere. And Paul's like, I know what I'm called to. I know why I'm called to it. Because when you know the goal, the message doesn't ever need to change, but the methods may need to. And that's, any good missionary would know that. Because when you take your eyes off of the goal, what happens, church, is that you begin to think that the methods are just as, if not more important than the message. And you get those two things mixed up. And Paul, I just want to remind you, Paul says, by all possible means. So to live life on mission, Paul was, was, was able to know the difference between his preferences and God's absolutes. And I'll say this, the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're in this soup, the easier it is to get those two things mixed up. My preferences 
and God's absolutes. And we watch it. We watch it when we take our eyes off of the goal that by all possible means we might save some. All of a sudden, we start to want to leave a church or throw down some holy gauntlet, right, over things that are of no eternal importance. Like if you were tempted to leave the church because I told you you were going to take down this wood wall, come on, right? I'm just telling you, you're off. I'm just saying. You're like, but they're symbolic of the pieces of the, I don't know, God using all things to make something beautiful. It's not beautiful. It's not, it needs to go. I'm just telling you. Like, what, but here's the thing. When you're in the soup of Christianity, that's why churches split over the color of carpet. They do. They do. Why? Because they've taken their eyes off of the main goal. And so all of a sudden, the methods and the trappings of church become just as, if not more important, than the message of winning some to know Jesus. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying your preferences don't matter, because they do. I like my preferences, you like your opinions, and that's awesome, right? But they certainly should take a back seat to the absolutes of God's word, so that by all possible means, we might save as many as possible. Paul knew his goal, he kept it before him, and he's essentially saying living life on mission means that I must sacrifice my preferences in order to reach the lost. And Paul did it the best. He makes me look bad. He, when you read the, the way that this man bent his preferences for the benefit of others is astounding. But he knew his goal, and he kept it in front of him. Because when you're living your life on mission, that your methods will bend, but your message doesn't. That's the beauty. And then, and then he, uh, he takes a, a, a turn, and this is my third point, but he takes a turn here, and he starts to talk about athletics. And he says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, and then he starts talking about training. He says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. He goes, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I mean, this is like... It's intense. Paul, Paul is talking like this athletic imagery because he knew that the Corinthians would understand this. Because the Corinthians knew that's around the time of the Olympic Games in Greece, the Greek Olympic Games. And in fact, in Corinth, every two years, they would host their own games. They were called the Isthmian Games. And so they, were, they would be very aware of the athletes training and running and preparing for the Isthmian Games every two years. And they understood. They understood what an, that an athlete needed to discipline themselves if they wanted to win. That's just, we know that. If you've ever been an athlete, if you've ever done any sport, you know that you only get better by disciplining yourself. Because an athlete watches her diet, an athlete budgets his time, um, an athlete prioritizes training, an athlete will say no thank you to, to, uh, to dessert, 
An athlete will say no thank you to sometimes um, social outings if it gets in the way of sleep or training, those types of things. They understood that they had to do what others wouldn't do and force themselves to do what others won't do if they wanted what others don't have. They knew this, and we, we kind of know this. In fact, we have this, um, we have this term in our, in our culture um, that's been, it's kind of gotten really popular over the past like 10, 15 years. It's called adulting. You ever, <laughs> you heard? I know it's kind of like, it's funny, you know, and like, but have you ever heard of like adulting? It's like, you hear a lot of like young people, millennials, like, you know, in their 20s, 30s that are like, man, adulting's hard. Yeah. Um, and I would say this, in order to live your life on mission, you must realize that adulting is hard. This is what Paul's talking about. He's like, hey guys, come on, let's just be honest. Adulting's hard. And, and if you think of it, like if I were to find adulting, I wrote this down, I would say that it's when a person comes to the realization that it's time for them to parent themselves. Adulting's hard. I think what's really interesting is that when you become an adult, especially in this day and age, nobody tells you that it's now going to be your job to parent yourself. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? If it was just very honest with you, like, look, I've been doing everything for you for a long time. It's now time for you to parent yourself. And by parenting yourself, what I mean is this, that it is now your job to make yourself do things that you don't want to do. Adulting is hard. And you do things so that, that you don't want to do so that you can become all that you can be. Adulting is hard. Because every single one of us starts out as kids. We start out as children. And our parents, you know, make us do things that we don't want to do. Because we won't do it. We won't. I guarantee you, my son would never change his sheets, ever, <laughs> unless we made him do it. He would just be fine with it. I mean, he would literally, they would, would just rot off of his bed. He'd just be like, I right, just fine. This is just what normally happens. You know, I guess once they finally disintegrate, then I put new ones on. It's, I don't know. I just, we just keep going. Like, I'm just telling you, like, and you understand. If you're a parent of, of a teenager, you understand that. That is so disgusting. <laughs> if you have a teenager, you understand that they, they may never feel the desire to take a shower. Or clean their own room unless you badger them for weeks. They'd be fine with it. Just be like, just put, just put some more on. Just keep it. Just it's like, just put more on. Just put more. Just keep going. Just, just keep it going. Just honestly, they will forget to brush their teeth every day unless you ask them. Did you brush your teeth? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you, did you brush your teeth? Because your, your toothbrush wasn't wet. It wasn't, it wasn't wet. I can, you're ye yellow. I just, you're not doing, you're not getting it there. Right there, you're not getting it. Like, I'm telling you, dishes would not get washed. The vacuum would never run. Some of your kids don't even know how to turn it on. They're like, I don't know, this thing is so crazy weird, right? Lights would never get turned off. You'd be walking into rooms like, what in the world? Why are there lights? This closet lights on and every light. It's like they just walk through, clink, 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 clink. And they walk back out and be like, ah, oh, finally, it's just like light in here. They'd never turn off any light. I, it's for, because for some reason, children are blinded to the need 
for any of this. But hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> at some point, and those of you who have adult-ish kids, hopefully you come to the point where all of a sudden the light gets flipped. The switch gets turned. And you realize, huh, I've got a parent myself. See, adulting is realizing that you have to do the things that you don't want to do in order to grow up. And so you pay bills, and you file taxes, and you vacuum, and you cook food for ungrateful picky eaters, and you get haircuts, and you make a budget and try to stick to it, and you go figure out that mysterious place called the post office and how that all works. <laughs> Adulting is hard work. It's all part of adulting. And I think Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, hey guys, you need to start adulting yourself spiritually. And he minces no words. Adulting is hard. What does that look like? It means First of all, reckoning that major question is, is my faith my parents' faith or is it my own? And if it is my own, what does that mean for me? Because nobody's going to badger me to read my Bible. Nobody's going to force me to set aside time to pray. Nobody's going to put safeguards in my life to guard me from temptation. I can waste or invest my time however I choose. Nobody's going to make you tithe your money. Church, I think sometimes our greatest hindrance isn't Satan beating us up. Sometimes it's simply that we're aimlessly beating the air. Because we have no plan. We have no rhythm. We have no training. We have no habits. We have no adulting. We are, have no self-control. Because adulting is choosing to discipline yourself. In fact, I would argue that you don't have discipleship without discipline. Because discipline is choosing what I want now versus what I want most. What does that mean? It means this. You should say no to yourself more. It's good for you. You should say no to yourself more. Because what you enforce, the discipline that you enforce today will determine the success that you enjoy tomorrow. And we know this on a lot of, we know this um, financially, right? Financially, either you discipline your finances or your finances will discipline you. We know that to be true. And some of us have learned that the hard way. When it comes to our own diet, either we discipline our diet or our diet will discipline us. And the same is true spiritually. See, I think that sometimes the greatest consequences to an undisciplined life are the consequences that you never see. They're the consequences of what it could have been, where, where I could be, where I ought to be, where I should be. It's the consequences of like, I'll never know where I would be if I had done this, if I had said no to myself, if I had chosen discipline over an undisciplined life. 
because we know this to be true, and that's the hard part of adulting, and this is what Paul is, is just railing into the Corinthian church about. He's saying, if you want what everybody else has, then just do what everybody else is doing. But if you want what others don't have, then you have to be willing to do what others aren't willing to do. Adulting, spiritually, is hard work. Why don't you stand with me? The, the, past, the past few years have been um, difficult on, um, on businesses and employers, COVID shutdowns and all kinds of stuff that have happened. Um, and the past two years for employers, they've, they've called it the, the great resignation. I don't know if you've heard that term before. If you read any sort of like uh, leadership blogs and things like that, there's this... Um, this idea called the great resignation where people are, are quitting their jobs or if you're, if you're an employer or a manager of people, you're like, I can't get people to work, right? I can't, can't find people that will work or stay or over the past two to three years, there's been just a huge um, leaving of the workforce, the great resignation. Well, there's, um, there's a new employment trend on the rise according to the Harvard Business Review and they've coined it quiet quitting. Um, quiet quitters aren't resigning from their job. They still collect a paycheck and they show up to work just in time so that they're on time. Um, they'll even continue to perform all their regular tasks, but they remove their heart from it. Um, there's no sense of like excellence. They show up just in time and leave at the earliest possible opportunity. And so they don't engage in a sense of excellence behind uh, what they're doing. And they refuse to go above and beyond or be inconvenienced. And so they just begin to quietly uninvest themselves from the mission of the workplace that they're in. It's called the quiet quit. Quiet quitting. And I was reading this this past week and I, I couldn't help but think about how the same thing can happen to us spiritually. Like we're, we still go to church, maybe a little bit less often because COVID, you know. Um, we still serve. We, uh, we can still be invested financially and yet become an uninvested investor. We haven't given up on Jesus, really. I mean, but we, we kind of stop running or thinking, I just don't have the desire to run so hard or maybe at all. And in fact, religion, religion will tell you that like it's the professional athletes that are the real runners. Like it's the people with microphones on stages that like they're, the people get paid to run. Like they're the ones who, who are in this race. Like it's the pastors, it's the missionaries in Zimbabwe. It's those people. Like they are the ones that like, they're the runners in this race. Like if, if Paul's talking to anybody, he's talking to the professionals. Like he's talking to those people that like, they get paid to do this and are sponsored. Like, and maybe our role is just as a cheerleader or maybe our role is a fan or a commentator and Paul's reminding the Corinthian church, he's saying, you are in a race. And you are a runner. You are a runner. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Because you cannot expect total victory 
while living in a quiet quit. Live your life as if you are on mission, because you are. Whether you signed up for it or not, when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became <laughs> an alien, a resident in a, in a foreign culture. In this world, but not of it. And you're called to bring light into darkness. And sometimes that means moving to Zimbabwe, and sometimes that just means talking to your neighbor, <laughs> your coworker, and your friends. Being a light, a hope in the midst of hopelessness and darkness. So as, we're, as we end here today, I just want to, if, if you're in, in a place where maybe you, um, you've never given Jesus Christ your life, you've never just released your life to him and made him the Lord and Savior of your life. And you feel like, man, I, I'm that guy that's just kind of beating aimlessly. I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm shadow boxing, but I, I don't even know what I'm about and where I'm headed and, and what I'm supposed to be doing. I just want to give you an opportunity right now in this place, in this time, to just release your life to him, to say, God, I, I, I desperately need you. I know that I'm not doing this right. I, I know that I, I desperately need a savior in my life. I just want to give you that opportunity. And I, I, want, to, I want to have you just pray a prayer with me. And, and, and it's not magical about this prayer. It's just coming to a place of surrender to him. So maybe you pray this prayer in your heart or out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to make a way where there was no way for me. And I believe that you are the Son of God, the Waymaker. And I receive you into my life right now. It's my way to God. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Have your way in me. And I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. I give you my life in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for each and every single person in here that made that decision. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in them. Lord, I pray for those of us who have, who have been Christians and in this soup for a long time, that we, would, that we would lift our heads up and realize that we are to live our lives on mission. And for those that are quiet quitting, we didn't even realize it. Lord, that you would renew a right spirit in me. Lord, that we would wake up and see a dying, crying world that is around us that desperately needs to know their maker. Lord, have us, cause us on the inside to rise up a holy fire. That we don't have to, that we don't have to compromise the truth, but we can radically love people. So that when they look at us and say, what is the reason that you have so much hope that we have a reason to give them? And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to be your light in a dark world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So, Lord, help us to be that. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing together.